0: For President Biden he's doing something smart politically but will it actually make a difference in terms of the quality of life in America the quality of public safety yes he is finally uh, trying to make a holistic as he puts it response to the surge in crime which is just appalling and he's doing that by uh, turning to uh, mayor Eric Adams uh, the new mayor of New York City former police lieutenant who uh, has impressed, I think, the whole country with his response to the fallen officers and to the general air of crisis. Uh, The president is unequivocally opposed to racial profiling in policing, the White House official said, as uh, the president is getting ready for a big, high-profile meeting with Eric Adams. Uh, But he can't avoid, when going to an occasion like this, uh, stepping into a pothole with a stupid and, and truly it's so disappointing because look it's so important that we do something about crime and this is beyond republicans and democrats this is about americans this is about the way we live when you read stories about the two officers 127 122 were killed in new york city about the kind of killings that take place every single day all over the country Of police officers and of innocent citizens it is about time and uh, instead President Biden is talking about basically getting rid of the Second Amendment Uh, this is uh, not going to help Democrats win some of their embattled seats where they're going to lose the Congress 1-800-955-1776 if somebody actually think it's a great idea to talk about undoing the second amendment you can give us a call we're also later today going to be speaking about another violent or potentially violent crisis that president biden faces this one in ukraine we're going to be talking with ralph peters who has spent a great deal of his life uh... taking a look at the russian threat and it is a russian threat it's always been a russian threat that started uh, way before even uh, the, the Cold War, uh, Russia's an imperialist country. And uh, they now threaten to take over a number of countries that they have dominated in the past. Does the United States have a stake in this? We will be talking to Colonel Peters, who was an Army intelligence officer for years, also a best-selling novelist. And then uh, we're also going to be talking about another threat to the United States, because that's part of what the job of the government is above everything, is to keep us safe, is to help deal with threats. And, yes, those threats include the threat of the pandemic. Now, there's a very prominent, very respected conservative columnist, and I like his work a lot. In fact, he's a frequent guest on this show, Daniel Henninger. He has a piece now saying that uh, it's time that we just uh, basically declared victory over COVID-19, that there is no more pandemic emergency, uh, got rid of Dr. Fauci and basically told Americans, uh, and this is something I think he anticipates that Biden would do on his State of the Union address coming up in March, that, uh, that the pandemic was over. Is that helpful? Is that the right policy? Are there certain things where we need to keep our focus on what the pandemic is and what it means? And we're also going to be speaking uh, not just about the pandemic, but about the fiscal crisis, a $30 trillion deficit. So what do you do about it? And why should you care about it? Or should you accept rather the, uh, the soothing words of some Democratic-leaning uh, economists who say, well, you know what, uh, the deficit doesn't matter, the debt doesn't matter, uh, as long as the interest rates stay down. But guess what? Now the interest rates are going up. We'll talk about that with Stephen Moore, uh, author of the book Trumponomics and a former uh, prominent economic policy advisor to President Trump. 1-800-955-1776 is our phone number. The uh, White House says that um, the administration views this trip to Eric Adams as a reflection of how Biden wants to tackle the issue of crime, said a White House official. Uh, Aides see Adams' focus as similar to Biden's holistic approach. The president, it says, believes in a multi-pronged strategy. Remove violent offenders from the streets. Well, that's something that is long overdue. Invest in community resources, like community violence intervention and prevention, all while supporting law enforcement. Okay, supporting law enforcement is great. Uh, Trying to remove violent offenders from the streets, great but investing in community resources like community violence intervention and prevention you, you remember when when bill clinton was talking about that stuff and he was talking about midnight basketball as a, um, a basic cure for crime and for criminal activity and for gangs if we only had enough midnight basketball courts open that would bring down the crime rate and uh, I remember the late Rush Limbaugh made a great deal of fun of that with Bill Clinton. the The idea that uh, community violence intervention has has worked anywhere. Uh, we're going to be speaking uh, later this week. We'll ask Heather McDonald about that, who writes about the real problem today in the Wall Street Journal, and we'll get to that as well. Okay, first off, there's there's this. From uh, NBC News, acknowledging that this is not a made-up problem. It's very, very real. It's very, very terrible. It could be the most gripping and critical problem that the nation faces right now. Uh, Clip 9. New numbers this week show the nation's most
1: populated city
2: battling a brutal crime wave. The NYPD's latest data shows crime is up 38% overall in New York City this year, with shootings up 32%, transit crime up 70%, and car thefts jumping a staggering 93%. In January, 25 police officers were shot nationwide, five in New York City alone, including two fatally.
1: I love you, baby bro and I will always miss you.
2: One of them, Officer Wilbert Mora, was laid to rest Wednesday. He was killed alongside his partner, Officer Jason Rivera, while responding to a domestic violence call.
0: An ocean of officers shouldn't have to line streets for the second time in five days to mourn the appalling loss of a 27-year-old son and brother. Uh, This is appalling. If 25 police officers killed in the line of duty so far this year. There's uh, another number by way of comparison, and it's very important. Of course, people are right to be concerned whenever a civilian is uh, killed in an unarmed situation that is uh, sometimes tough to explain. It's a terrible thing. But uh, the, the idea that um, This is a a wave of 25 police officers so far this year. All of last year, all of last year, not just this year, you know how many uh, black civilians who were unarmed, this is according to the very liberal Washington Post, actually were killed in fatal police encounters. Uh, There were four. It, it, something is terribly, terribly wrong when uh, that that terrible th- situation, and of course there's no situation, for, excuse for anyone to be killed needlessly, when that situation gets so much more attention and it is so much more rare tragically than the skyrocketing race of violence against police which is part of the problem. Will Biden touch on it, or will he go back to uh, state legislatures and Congress uh, blocking gun legislation? Is that the uh, key component here? We will get to that and to more on The Michael Medved Show.
2: Outlet for outrage.
0: It is outrageous what you are
2: saying. The Michael Medved Show. This is
0: outrageous. And on the Michael Medved Show, talking about President Joe Biden visiting New York City today, uh, I don't suspect he took the train, though that's a pretty easy train ride. That's the Acela Corridor. Uh, no, I'm, I'm sure saving time, he took uh, Marine One and then Air Force One and then Marine One. I, I, he got there. In any event, he got there today and focused a great deal on guns because the idea, which again has not been proven statistically or procedurally or ever, the idea that, that basically reducing the number of guns and concentrating on guns is the way to reduce crime has never particularly worked. It's never been proven, in fact. And I think it's a little bit too simplistic to say more guns, less crime, but that is very often the case. Uh, and it's, it's one of those situations where when y- you have such clear problems with the uh, elimination of bail, uh, turning criminals loose, not prosecuting certain crimes, it increases the violent crime rate when you decide you're not going to go after and arrest people for nonviolent crimes like shoplifting. It, it all contributes. But instead of talking about that, this is what the president of the United States sounded like with his focus. And it's appropriate to focus on crime, but here's what he had to say, clip 16.
1: This doesn't violate anybody's Second Amendment right. There's no violation of a Second Amendment right. We talk like there's no amendment that's absolute. When the amendment was passed, it didn't say anybody can own a gun and any kind of gun and any kind of weapon. You couldn't buy a cannon And when the, this, this uh, amendment was passed. And so no reason why you should be able to buy certain assault weapons. But that's another issue.
0: Okay, it is another issue. And then there is this uh, that he also had to say, which is also deeply misleading and tends to blame this problem on his republican opponents Uh, this is the uh, president clip 17. every day in this country 316
1: people are shot 106 are killed and six nypd officers have been victims of gun violence so far just this year The same in the town north of me, Philadelphia, and my much smaller town of Wilmington, Delaware, Washington, D.C. 64 children injured by gun violence so far this year, 26 killed. It's enough. Enough is enough because we know we can do things about this, but for the resistance we're getting from some sectors of the government and the Congress and the state legislatures and the Organizational structures out
0: there Okay What resistance? To what? Uh, If you The overwhelming consensus Of people who have looked At this is correct That the problem simply Is that there are too many people Like the killer Who uh, killed the two cops Who uh, they just did a another huge funeral for the second one. They were coming out in the middle of the night and there was this killer who was mentally ill, which is a very big part of the problem, and uh, who had a handgun that he apparently had helped to modify and, uh, and, and just came out firing at these two police officers. Now, do I agree that somebody with that kind of record, with a history of mental illness and violence and a record that someone like that should never, never have access to a gun? Of course I do. They've also come up with information about how the uh, somebody on the street sold an illegal gun to the uh, hostage taker in that hostage situation at the synagogue in Coffeyville, Texas, a couple of weeks ago. And... Of course someone like that should never get, I mean, first of all, he's not even a U.S. resident, he's a visitor. And uh, do I think it's uh, appropriate to uh, prevent people who are visiting the United States from coming here to buy guns? Yes, it's, it's totally appropriate to ban that, and I think it is in most states. And, however, the problem here is enforcing those rules the problem isn't the second amendment and isn't the right of homeowners for instance and that's basically in the famous heller case uh, saying yes the second amendment does grant a right to keep and bear arms just as the words say that uh, what scalia talks about there specifically were attempts in washington dc which were overturned by the supreme court to prevent law-abiding non-criminal records no mental illness record to prevent people like that from owning a gun for their own protection at home. It's not right. It's not what the Constitution had in mind. And by the way, the Constitution also did not have in mind, and it's one of those things that people are, thank God, defending a little bit less on uh, the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment wasn't there to try to equip the public with a means to resist the government. Uh, the Second Amendment was there to help people participate in their own safety, and in their own well-being. And uh, here is uh, the uh, a, a representative in uh, New York, Richie Torres, who's a congressman from New York, uh, at backing Mayor Adams, and slamming his fellow Democrats, who were still making. Uh, Uh, an advocation case that somehow we will all be safer if we defund the police. Uh, This is clip three.
2: I agree with the mayor. Uh, The defund police movement is dead in New York City and good riddance. And any elected official who's advocating for the abolition or even the defunding of police is out of touch with reality and should not be taken seriously.
0: Amen. And that's one of the reasons that Eric Adams won in such a landslide. It was One of his main opponents who was in favor of cutting a billion dollars from police budgets in New York. Well, they voted against it. And in Portland, a business owner is fed up with the failure of his city's Democrat leaders to address this issue. This is clip six.
2: Lonnie Thompson tells us his son was at the car restoration shop when someone broke in early Friday morning. I got a phone call that somebody was breaking in the shop. I hopped in my truck. I headed down a couple of minutes before I got here. Uh, I got a call that uh, he shot someone. He says his son, protecting their business, shot the intruder. Today, his frustration with Portland and state leadership? is off the charts. Politicians ain't doing nothing. You got Wheeler, you got Kate Brown, you got Joe Hardesty. they're all hiding in a corner. They don't, they physically do not want to address this problem.
0: He's talking about the um, mayor of Portland and the governor, Kate Brown. And again, it's not just them. There is a difficulty and there is more about that problem. but. Surely that problem can be addressed without making the national debt even more critical. $30 trillion. On this issue alone, the Republicans can win this upcoming election and maybe help to save America. We'll get to that with Steve Moore coming up. Is a good thing when you're setting records uh, if you're Tom Brady sure uh, though we won't be setting any uh, more records though uh, who knows what his future endeavors might be but uh, setting a, a record of 30 trillion dollars in national debt now this is not the deficit this is the debt this is what we owe overall which goes up and up and up and up And it's a legitimate issue. And somebody who emphatically believes that and tried to advise the prior president in a way that uh, the debt would not continue to pile higher and higher and higher uh, is Steve Moore. And Stephen Moore is an author. He is a best-selling author of the book Trumponomics. He was an advisor to President Trump who helped shape the campaign, the economic platform that he campaigned on successfully in 2016. And uh, he is a regular columnist now uh, for the uh, Washington Examiner and uh, it works for various organizations trying to keep America's economy one hopes revived and vital. Uh, Steve, why should ordinary Americans care about a deficit of 30 trillion dollars why does that matter
2: well hello Michael great to be with you again uh, by the way I have a new book out that literally just came out a week ago and the title is very apropos to what we're talking about the title of the book is called "Gobzilla: <laughs> how the relentless <laughs> growth of government is devouring our economy and uh, actually the cover photo is a, a picture of Gu- Godzilla coming out of the the capital, and we have a crisis on our hand. Everybody knows it. Everybody knows this. I mean, I don't care if you're a liberal, conservative, Democrat, Republican. That what's going on in Washington? You mentioned the thirty trillion dollars of debt, and I should add, I should just note that that's uh, about twenty-two trillion dollars of debt that's quote held by the public. That is to say that or is held by uh, either Americans or foreigners. And then there's about six or seven trillion of that $30 trillion is actually deficits in the, that, the you know, that is owed to the Social Security and Medicare trust fund that's basically been raided from those funds. So uh, anybody who thinks your lockbox is safe in Social Security and Medicare, damn, that the government's stolen 6 to $7 trillion out of those funds. So uh, is this a crisis? Of course, the answer is yes. $30 trillion, and, and incidentally, Michael, uh, that debt number which is is so uh, you know immoral I'll use the word immoral it has risen by six to seven trillion dollars just in the last two years
0: and is that six to seven trillion dollars in the last two years which is yes. astonishing enough uh, and and, and some kind of relationship causal relationship isn't there between the level of debt and the level of inflation yes
2: yes it's you know what's happening now just so people understand is that so the the government is massively spending multi trillions of dollars of money right and that's authorized by Congress and then the Treasury since we're not taking in that much money in revenues tax revenues the Treasury has to issue debt that's bonds right And so then the government is issuing the six to seven trillion dollars of bonds. And then who buys the bonds? Well, what's happening now, and this is almost unprecedented in American history, is that the Federal Reserve Bank is buying the bonds. Now, then the question becomes: well, where does the Federal Reserve Bank, uh, where do you think the Federal Reserve gets the money to buy the bonds, Michael? Uh,
0: They get them ultimately from the taxpayer. Well, well, yeah, ultimately, but they print money. Right? Yeah. I mean, they're essentially printing
2: dollars, and then they're using those dollars that they're printing to purchase the debt, okay? Now, what I just described to you, I hope people are in shock over this, because this is what third-world countries do, right? This is what Argentina and Venezuela and Mexico and Bolivia and Zimbabwe do when they get into a debt crisis. They print money, they cheapen the value of their, their currency. And so this, you know, this is a long winded answer to your question, Michael, but it's important for people to be able to connect the dots here. So when the government just prints money to finance the debt, uh, what is the result of that? Inflation. I mean, it's as plain as the nose on your and you're My face. So it's obvious this is going to happen. It's laughable when I still hear Joe Biden saying speeches, uh, this is going to be free. It's not going to cost anybody anything. And then he says, you know, uh, that. Um, he even says laughably, if you want to reduce the inflation rate, let's spend and borrow $2, $3, 4000000000000 trillion more money. I mean, he says that with a straight face, Michael.
0: No, it's, it's an extraordinary thing. And I'm thinking about this, of course, goes back to sort of the ancient history of the uh, 1890s and early 20th century when there were left-wingers at the time like William Jennings Bryan who thought that the way to help poor people was to make uh, the money that they owed worth less but that means inflation for everybody that for people who have saved money then that money isn't worth what you thought it was as you were saving it what what could possibly be done Uh, let's say the Republicans do win the smashing win in the House of Representatives and they take over the Senate as many people believe that Republicans will can they do anything to curb the uh, the accumulation of debt and begin turning it around the other way and maybe 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 paying it off
2: (laughs) well that's a complicated question I mean I am a Republican but I have to be honest with you and your listeners I mean this debt is the responsibility of both parties of course now biden is a, is a champion borrower i've never seen anything like this i mean to take the debt up the way he has to continue to promote these trillions and trillions of dollars of spending is just it is uh, it is incomprehensible it's the most um uh, dangerous thing i've seen in our country and again these numbers are so large but just take the seven trillion dollars we've increased our debt by you know since covid hit um that's more money than we spent to finance the Revolutionary War, the Civil War, World War I, World War II, the Interstate Highway System, the Intercontinental Rail System, and the Moon Landing. So Co- the combined. money is gigantic, and, and and so I guess the answer to your question is no. The politicians aren't going to take do anything about this. We have to, we as voters and citizens have to do something about it. We have to have a re- kind of revolt, a peaceful revolt against all of this. I hate to tell you this folks, but politicians love to play Santa Claus, and that's what they've been doing for the last several years.
0: Well, there's no doubt, and uh, I remember there was even a fight at one point where President Trump uh threatened to veto one of those relief bills during COVID because he didn't think the Republicans and Democrats were providing enough in terms of relief. And right now, in in terms of the pandemic dragging on and on, does it have to uh, waste to get anything serious under control? I know that Newt Gingrich has started talking again about a balanced budget amendment. Is that even vaguely possible as part of a national agenda? Well,
2: I mean, it's certainly a great goal. And we did balance the budget under a Democratic president, Bill Clinton. We had a Republican Congress and a Democratic president. And, you know, we did. Just we like coming Trump. up. Pardon me?
0: Just like coming up, we're going to have a, a Democratic president, and a Republican Congress.
2: Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, I don't think that <laughs> Joe Biden is, is Bill Clinton. I mean, Bill Clinton was a pretty fiscally conservative guy. Don't forget that in two, 1996, he gave a very famous, you know, uh, State of the Union address where he said the Europe of big government is over. I, I don't see in a million years <laughs> Joe Biden saying that. But I want to make another point because I think it is so important, and I'd actually like your reaction to this, Michael, because it's a it's a debatable point, but. I wrote my my column, my weekly column on this this week. We have spent somewhere in the neighborhood of five trillion dollars to fight COVID. Five trillion dollars, not five billion, five trillion dollars. Um, a million people, roughly a million people, have died from COVID. Um, we don't, we still don't really have it completely under control. And the question I would ask is, with all the lockdowns and all the massive amount of spending we spent, shutting down the schools and shutting down our businesses, and spending all this money. Would we have been any worse? Wouldn't we be any worse off today if, if we had simply said, let's let
0: people And I'm glad that Steve Moore can stay with us for a little while longer because he was just in the midst of making a very provocative point. Yeah, and Steve, you can hear me now? Are you telling folks that uh, it it sounded like, and God forbid this should be the case, that I was cutting you off and that I wasn't giving you the chance to make a provocative and controversial point. So let me finish. Let me have you finish on that, and then I'm going to try to give you a response, and maybe we can talk about it just in a little bit more depth. And what you were saying was that try to imagine that we hadn't spent this five trillion dollars on covid relief or anti-covid 19 steps that have taken and that includes federal state local private charities everything right yes or is it So let yeah. me
2: this is a real it's an important point michael so thank you for uh asking me about this so my contention is and uh, I'd like your reaction to this, because it's a provocative point, but, I, but I, I'm pretty sure I'm right about this, that I was against lockdowns from the very start, just because I'm I'm, I believe in freedom and liberty. And I don't think the government has the right to shut down businesses and schools and parks and, and uh, you know, stores and restaurants and to tell me you know, I have to stay at home and those kinds of things. But, so that's my kind of general uh, political, you know, philosophy. But we now know pretty definitively I mean there's a series of very very highly respected studies that have come out looking at both across states and across countries and what those studies show again pretty definitively is that lockdowns had a very very small positive effect very small though in other words
0: I've I've seen that I think they say it's two tenths of 1% uh, of of the death rate and that's yeah that's pretty small so did lockdown save some lives
2: yeah but think of the cost folks think of the cost to our freedoms think of the number of businesses that went bankrupt think of the, the fact that kids Steve
0: Steve I've got to stop you because I think I think this is misleading to people because a great deal of that spending I don't know exactly how much maybe you do went to the development of the vaccines and uh, to to medicines and without is, the vac- and without true. the vaccines and without some of the medicines that have come about and the, some of the treatments and some of the medical developments, which it's perfectly legitimate for government to spend money on, and and government did under the Trump administration, that uh, without that there would be thousands, uh, probably hundreds of thousands more people who died.
2: A fair point and it's a good point and and in fact i would say the one thing that government did right was the development of the vaccine so i'm totally with you on that one now here's the important point though what trump did with operation warp speed was he basically it was mostly a program that just got around all of the government regulations that take you know because the new york times said it would take three or four years to develop a vaccine why because we got so many hoops and barriers at the at the uh, fda to get any kind of new drug or vaccine out that it would have taken that long and trump basically said no we're going to go around these these ridiculous regulations we're going to get this done in nine months nobody thought it was possible and we did it was actually kind of the private sector that that really stepped up and got this thing done so but you're let's say a trillion dollars of that five trillion went for vaccines and that's probably a pretty good rough rough estimate my point is, I believe that we would be much better off today if we simply said, look, we are responsible people, we are free people, <laughs> businesses should make their own decisions about whether they want to shut down their doors, families and individuals can make their decisions about whether they want to go outside or whether they want what they want to do, and I contend that our country would be better off today if that was the decision we had made.
0: Okay, I'm, I'm not at all sure, Steve. And I and okay. I, I think there yeah. there are reasons to doubt that because do you do you believe that uh, in other words if you go through a major policy I think there are certain kinds of lockdowns that have been shown to be ineffective one of them is schools and uh, clearly the shutting down of schools which has been promoted by special interests like the teachers unions has um, has has not compelled people I mean one of the nice things about choice in education is uh, with choice in education if you want to choose a school that is going to lock down and when and and then try to replace it with in-person learning you can do that you can choose that and if you want to go ahead and send your kids to school and take whatever enhanced risk you have by sending them to school you can do that but when you talk about things like restaurants and and bars and I know this. You can look beyond the United States. There is a a, a very good reason to believe that in Italy, where they were having, uh, mm-hmm. you remember early in the pandemic, t- terrible uh, yes. t- mortality yes. rates. Yes. Part of what brought that down and brought them away from uh, from the crisis mm-hmm. was locking down some of the nightlife and the bunga bunga parties and. Uh, <laughs> remembering uh, Prime Minister Berlusconi it it, it worked it, it got them away from the precipice and most Italians would tell you that
2: yeah so here's the thing um, there was some true like, yeah it's a point well taken And what I'm saying, though, is that at the beginning of the pandemic, we didn't know what we were dealing with, right? We just, you know, so it made sense for the first month or so to say, hey, we got to take a, what was it? Remember, four weeks to flatten the curve or something like that. But then it was turned from four weeks to four months to (laughs) eight months to 12 months. And And then it was back and forth,
0: and they couldn't get their story straight. Uh, And this, this, by the way, this did not come onto the scene with President Biden. It was both of the presidents who've been presidents during the pandemic. Uh, there was a very difficult time figuring out a consistent policy that worked. We now have Daniel Henninger, and this is one of the reasons I'm so sensitive for what you're saying. Yeah. I hope we're going to be speaking to him soon. He has a column today saying, time to forget about all of this, declare victory, and basically go back to normal yeah. life.
2: Yeah, and, and I'm saying, yeah, and I'm go saying ahead. Michael, that we should have— we should have let individuals make their own rational decisions about what to do. Now, some people would act irresponsibly. The other thing I would have done, and I said this from the beginning, I'm not Monday morning corny back in here. I said at the beginning the right policy, because it was clear pretty much from the, after the first month or two that there were various that there were certain groups of people that were very vulnerable to this virus, old people who were elderly and people who had respiratory or other health problems. And what I'm telling you and I think I'm right about this I may not be you you, you've got a lot of smart listeners they might know better than I do but if we had simply said we are going to keep those people safe we are going to sequester those people we're going to keep them isolated so they don't get sick and let healthy Americans get on with their lives I don't think we would have had the massive Uh, economic can I tell you something
0: and it's it's just something it's human nature nobody thinks he or she is specially vulnerable Uh, I mean, unless you're you're literally just coming out of the hospital. Uh, I have I've whenever I talk about this with people who are over 70, right? Everybody over 70 is in perfect health, spectacular health. They are no higher risk to the virus. Uh, I don't I don't think that's uh, one of those things where you can really trust on people's judgment. One of the uh, right right now, 30 percent of Americans and this is not an exaggeration. They just measured it, or are, are considered obese, yeah. and obesity is a gigantic, I mean, okay. gigantic uh, contributing factor uh, to making people vulnerable. And uh, there's nobody. <laughs> but uh, so, do you, you? There are very few people who actually say, "Oh, I'm I'm obese, and I'm comfortable with that." And people do, but. Uh, yeah. It's it, It's one of those things, Stephen, where I think, it, as in most things, and you asked for my reaction. Yeah. Uh, I, I, we clearly there was a lot that was done wrong. There was tremendous confusion and a desperate desire by politicians, on both parties, to try to say, "Oh, we're doing everything we can. We're doing everything right. we can," and some of that doing everything we can was flailing, but. Uh, But then again, there also was all this evidence of super-spreader events that could be avoided. And uh, aren't we, I think, all around the country right now, one of the things that makes a difference is we're kind of back to religious services with precautions. Are we not? Yes.
2: And here's where you and I disagree,
0: and it's very seldom
2: that you and I disagree. But my view is, Look, I think that make letting individuals make their own decisions is the right way to go. Even look, and that by the way, freedom means you have the right to make stupid decisions. Yes, you're absolutely. Yeah, but right. you don't
0: you don't have a right to put other people in danger. And I, frankly, it's one of those reasons that, for instance, I I'm grateful that I can go to synagogue. Do I think that it is a big cost to require everybody to wear a mask, which our synagogue chooses to do? Or do am I appreciative of the fact that uh, places where we would go to get food, we don't eat out at restaurant, we do pick it up sometimes? Uh, that those places respect those rules? No, I think that.